Sarah figured out that by switching to MetroPCS, she gets two free smartphones. Your barbecue ribs are the best. Take the rest home with you, Sarah. Just like she figured out that by visiting her in-laws, she doesn't have to cook for the rest of the week. You too figure it out. Get two free 4G LTE smartphones from top brands like Samsung and LG after instant rebate when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included. See store or metropcs.com for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Wake Up Mission Show. With your host, Shalene Nightingale. And Randy Dees. Where is the revolution? Where is our solution? The time to wake up is here and now. Time for a revolution. And what? We're literally back. This is Shalene and Randy, the Wake Up Mission, an underground network connecting the dots for liberty on this Monday, August 10th. And when I say we're back, we're not only just back for another week and for and we're beginning our second year, Randy, by the way. Right. But we also are back in the studio with our real mics again. So we want to thank you so much, Blog Talk. Uh, for always taking care of us and taking care of, you know, all of your hosts on Blog Talk. We really, really ap- appreciate it. And uh, the engineers who work so hard uh, to get the sound back. So how do we sound, Randy? Well, we sound uh, pretty good. How about, what do you think? <laughs> I think so. We're so funny. I mean, you you know, for those who listen, you probably caught on that good friends too. Uh, but Randy and I, we were we were he was texting, and I was emailing him, and it was just so funny because we used the exact same words. I emailed you, push set, and then I read your text, and I couldn't stop laughing. So uh, we're like <laughs> an old couple now. It's just really funny. So, uh, how was your weekend? Well, it was okay. Uh, nothing spectacular went on. Um, what the hell did I do? I'm trying to, th- well, <laughs> I did last night. I watched The Last Ship and Fallen Skies. And if anyone, any of the producers from Fallen Skies are listening, you've got three episodes left. Hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Hey, I don't watch. I don't watch TV. What is is this on a Sci-Fi Channel or what? Would it, would it, what show? It's on T. It's on TNT, and I have watched mm. every episode. It's like one of my favorite shows. And um, you know, the girl mm. I was hoping we could get on, uh, Sarah Carter, the real hot blonde badass chick. She she's kind of <laughs> like a long-haired blonde version of Trinity from The Matrix. She's just this really oh, cool. smoking hot. Badass, and um, I love that gal. But anyways, um, this is the last season, and it's going slow. And then last night, it says three episodes left, and I'm like, 
they're not even anywhere close to being done yet um, with their um, counterattack against the uh, the Ashvini, and it's I think it's going to be it's going to end badly. <laughs> they're not going to win. I don't uh -oh. know. I could be wrong. Uh -oh. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh -oh. it's a great uh -oh. show, but that that's it. Um, Saturday, oh. Hall of Fame induction ceremony was Saturday, so I watched that, and that's always great, uh, you know, to, you know, hear the, the players talk. Um, well, Junior Seau, who committed suicide a few years ago, he got elected posthumously, and his daughter, he's got, he's got, I think, two sons. Well, the daughter, I, I think she's maybe 13 or 14, I'm not sure, and she, she did the, did the speech, and and that, that that little girl, she's a rock star, you know. She, you know, kind of carried the whole family on her back uh, in a way. And you know, if any of the sales are listening, uh, you know, some prayers and my heart goes out to you. And you should be awfully proud of um, of your daughter and granddaughter because she did an outstanding job. Wow! Wow! You had a you had a near your house too, right? Do I? You had a shooting near your house, correct? Yeah, you know, I actually heard the gunshots, but you hear them all the time out here, so I didn't think nothing about it. You know, it was just like, mm -hmm. it was about a quarter past nine, and uh, the next day, for on the front page of the newspaper, uh, there, what happened to this guy, and it is, this is like in three months uh, around this neighborhood. It, it, it's not a good area. And this guy had... Uh, these people were neighbors that lived in this other neighborhood down down the road. Somehow got in the house and shot and killed a guy who actually come come to find out he used to be a um, Gaston County police. Well, the guy's son called nine one one, and then when the cops got there, there's a little convenience store, and they they you know, kind of set that up as like their rally point or their staging area and made all the people go back inside the store and they got their uh, long rifles out of the trunk and went into the neighborhood. And the guy that shot and killed that one dude uh, confronted them. He shot two of the cops. Uh, he had a shotgun and a uh, sidearm. He, and of course, like they said, anywhere from four to seven returned fire and they killed him. So two cops are in the hospital and then two guys are dead and it's an ongoing investigation. Um, so yeah, it's and and again, I always hear gunshots out here, and I don't think nothing of it because it's generally people are, you know, target shooting or whatever. But uh, within the last three months, that's the third time that that's happened, and uh, so that's uh, yeah, it was kind of an exciting weekend. But I heard the gunfire, well, I, I didn't think nothing I of guess it. so. Uh, any uh. Any uh, Al Sharpton sightings in the area, or uh, were these lives that don't matter? Oh, of course. <laughs> the, these, lives, these lives don't matter. Like the uh, Navy veteran that they murdered on his lawnmower three months ago, his life didn't matter because he, was the, he wasn't the correct color. And right. the, um, the district attorney said that he's not going to uh, do an investigation into that case. And I saw an interview with neighbors um, this guy, you know, he had PTSD. He was speaking with uh, his caseworker at the VA and said something that alarmed the caseworker. So they came out to do a wellness check. 
and they they shot the guy and killed him. He was sitting on his lawnmower. The police said the guy had a gun, but there was a witness I saw on TV. Of course, you'll probably never see that footage again. The man did not have a gun. They rolled up and walked up on him and shot him and killed him on his lawnmower. Wow. Wow. You never know these days when you hear about these shootings. Is it another false flag? You know, something created by the New World Order government to try to take away our guns. You just right. never know these days. Uh, did you hear that yeah. one of Michael Brown's, Michael Brown from Ferguson, one of his friends, quote unquote, just got arrested, uh, apparently. So uh, just, you know, because we're, we're talking about the shootings. Also, a little bit uh -huh. later, we're going to talk about a VA, uh, a veteran uh, and the VA and an ongoing battle there for this guy to keep his guns. In the second hour, we have G. Edward Griffin, one of my absolute favorite people on this planet. Looking forward to having him on the show. He's he's he just he's so sharp. He he really is. Right. Uh, speaking of sharp, I know you didn't. You you told me you were going to watch wrestling, uh, but I watched the GOP debate, and I told you I was going to watch it because I wanted to take notes for the show. And boy, am I glad yeah. I watched it. I, yeah, I well, really I, I watched. I watched the last hour. Uh, was wrestling oh, you went did? Off 10 and then, yeah, and the debate was on till 11. And I'm like, all right, I guess I better watch this. You know, it's, it's my job. It's my job, man. So I yeah. looked over and watched it. And oh, boy. Well, well, first of all, and, I, and I'm going to say this. I'm very, very open about it. I publicly last week publicly on my Facebook timeline, I should say, uh, you know, it was not an endorsement, uh, but I said that if, which of course, I don't think that the, the GOP of course doesn't want him. The GOP, just for the record, everybody listening to the show, uh, Randy and I don't believe we actually elect POTUS. We believe they're selected by the Bilderberg and company and uh, we reported last week, as a matter of fact, that Jeb Bush is receiving the same donations from the same people as Hillary Clinton. So it's just a dog and pony show. We we do believe they're selected. However, uh, if, if, if Donald Trump does not become compromised, which I, I don't see how we can, considering there's no money they can pay him, and he's pretty much well an open book, so I'm really, only thing they can do, which I God, they don't is for him to be like those recent doctors wind up missing or you know dead so let's hope that doesn't happen well let's just say he right. did get the nomination if he gets the GOP nomination I'll vote for him I'm not a Republican anymore as neither are you uh, if he went independent nope. I'd put everything I had into him and the reason why I say that is because I do believe see this is why they have pushed a new world order, a two-party, uh, a false paradigm of a false left paradigm. It doesn't exist, all right? You're either an, an anarchy, a monarchy, or somewhere in between. That's what the right and the left, the true right and left is. Um, the republic was a moderate in the middle uh, form of government, which we no longer have. We're an oligarchy further to the left. But, but with all that aside... Uh, they created this oligarchy with these two, you know, party images. And mm. uh, they know that as long as they run their people inside those one of those two parties, they're always going to control the system. 
But if we can yeah. get a guy like Trump, an outsider, on the outside of that two-party system, I think we can win. I think as long as we can m monitor polling places, get everybody united, I believe that there's a chance. I really do. So uh, if Trump won independent, that's what I would do. If not, uh, you know, I've always been aligned with the Constitution Party or the Libertarian Party. Uh, I would go with the Constitution Party this time around. Um, or Mark Lundgren. Mark Lundgren, who is uh, one, one of our, I've been on our show. In fact, he's going to be on again debating another independent candidate if Mark could get on all 50 states as an independent. So, you know, we shall see what happens, but I like Trump. But so with that said, and the reason why is because unlike the, the, the uh, liar and thief in the Oval Office, we really are trying to be as transparent as possible on this show. So I wanted to set that record straight. So I didn't think Trump won the debate. I, I thought, I, I really did think for me personally that it was Dr. Ben Carson. I thought he hands down won it. I thought Trump uh, for uh, for all the bashing he received from the media, which we're going to talk about here in a second, I thought he came in second. I thought, considering what they were doing to him, I thought he held his own. Unfortunately, we didn't really get, it wasn't really quite fair because they just kept bashing him over and over again. Uh, but right. I unfortunately, I have learned Dr. Ben Carson is for medical tyranny, not exactly strong on on the second amendment and nor is he strong on illegal immigration that's unfortunate nope. um i liked him though i thought he was witty he was sharp he had great answers so it's really too bad uh but he's he's kind of he's kind of in the middle of polling anyway so probably never going to get past that you and I did not watch the first debate, but I have heard over and over and over again from people, Carly Fiorni, Fiorni who uh, ran for uh, Senate here in California, I heard that she not only won the first round, but uh, uh, if you combine the two debates, that everybody's saying she won, period, for the night. I don't yeah. know. I didn't go look at any clips. I wasn't really that interested because... I know I, I'm not going to support her, so I don't really need to, to go that far in my in my research. But uh, Chris Christie and Jeb Bush, awful. Uh, uh, they're both in the wrong party. Uh, Chris, I, I mean, we know that the Bush family comes from the New World Order. There's no surprise there uh, at all. But I really, uh, really uh, didn't think that uh, Chris Christie. He really doesn't belong in the Republican Party at all. So they were the two worst, in my opinion. I thought the others kind of varied. Um, I'm probably a little bit different than many people out there. I thought Rand Paul, if you understand liberty in the Constitution, for me personally, he uh, came in third place. I did like the Ohio governor, John Kashish, or however you say his last name, Kasich, whatever it is. Kasich. Kasich, thank you. I was like trying to remember what his last name was. <laughs> um, I didn't know anything about him. I thought he was also very good, but unfortunately I have since learned he is like really pro-amnesty, not on our side on most issues, but 
you just spoke well. So and I also found out he was once a Fox uh, contributor, Fox News contributor. So with that said, um, I, I've got to stick with, with Donald Trump. Uh, it's yeah. but what was really interesting. So I, I'm sitting there and, um, I, you know, I, I was like, oh my gosh, they, they have Donald Trump in the center. Uh Oh, where they either, either he's already become one of them. And that's why he's in the center or he's in the center because he's leading in polls and they're going to bash him, which is it going to be? Well, it only took a few seconds to figure that out because the very first yeah. question was, "Who here on the stage?" And the, and they've never they don't they've never asked this. I've never heard this asked before. They did it because they knew the answer already, and they wanted Donald. They, from the very moment they started, they wanted Donald Trump to look bad. So, who here will not support? the eventual GOP nominee if you don't receive it yourself. Who will, you know, who will not? Uh, so Donald Trump raised his hands. Of course, for me, I'm clapping. Woohoo! You know, because that would be me. I'm not party loyal. I'm constitution loyal. And not right. that I think Donald Trump knows that much. I mean, I think he needs a lesson on the constitution. There's a few books I think he needs to read. But but I still, nonetheless, was like, thank God this guy is not party loyal because I don't want somebody like that. And, of course, they got the crowd to boo and, you know, because he wasn't going to stay. Already you could see what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Then the next question, Adam Megan Kelly, and we're going to talk about her here for a bit. She asks a question about how he labels women. I thought, what does this have to do with, with any, what the president, the, 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 look, we know that presidents of the past have had affairs. JFK really quickly comes to mind. All right. Do I like having people that have immoral, you know, make immoral decisions in, in POTUS or any other elected office for that matter? No, I do not. Okay. I like, I think character, and as a Christian, I prefer that. Character is important. The founding fathers made that clear. Character is important. But should it be a, a, a POTUS potential question? You know, I want to know about, you know, are you going to entangle in foreign affairs, which you know I don't like? Uh, what are you going to, are you going to, uh repeal Obamacare. Uh, you know, what what type of constitution, what are you gonna do to bring us back to a republic? What are you gonna do about the economy? These are more questions I want to know. Are you gonna secure the border, stop paying benefits to illegal aliens so that they'll self-deport? I mean, these are the types of things I'm interested in. But no. First question specifically for Donald Trump from Megan Kelly was basically you're terrible to women. You label women bad things. One of the questions was uh, you once said to a woman that was in one of your pageants uh, something about her being on her knees. I thought, oh, my gosh, where is she going with this? Trump was funny. He quipped back. I've only said bad things about Rosie O'Donnell. 
He got a huge, huge applause for that. Uh, but she just she just kept coming back with that. Now I think now you have two Megan Megan, you have a Megan Trump. Maybe this is it. I'm gonna play this clip. This might be the one. Here we go. Its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called yes, women here we go. like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account only is Rosie several- O'Donnell. Your Twitter account has several disparaging comments about women's looks. You once told a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice it would be a pretty picture to see her on her knees. Does that sound to you like the temperament of a man we should elect as president? And how will you answer the charge from Hillary Clinton, who is likely to be the Democratic nominee, that you are part of the war on women? I think the big problem this country has is being politically correct. I've been I've been challenged by so many people and I don't frankly have time for total political correctness and to be honest with you this country doesn't have time either this country is in big trouble we don't win anymore we lose to China we lose to Mexico both in trade and at the border we lose to everybody and frankly, what I say, and oftentimes it's fun, it's kidding, we have a good time. What I say is what I say. And honestly, Megan, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I've been very nice to you, although I could probably maybe not be based on the way you have treated me, but I wouldn't do that. But you know what? We, we need strength. We need energy. We need quickness and we need brain in this country to turn it around. That I can tell you right now. So uh, that was a really interesting moment. What did what did that have to do? Why did she ask that question? She just really attacked his character instead of asking him anything important. And the whole entire debate was like this. Every question they asked yeah. him was just let's bash on Trump, bash on Trump. Uh, they also weren't very nice to uh, Rand Paul, I have to say. They weren't nice to him either. So what I did, Randy, is I watched the entire debate, okay? Mm-hmm. And then at the end, because I was typing online, I was furious. So in the background, I still had Fox News. I watched their fake post-show reviews. I watched their very, very fake. Did you see their fake focus group led by a guy named Frank something or other? Uh, well, this Frank no. guy. Oh, my gosh. It was so obvious what they were doing. And thank God. Thank God the American people figured it out. Thank goodness yeah, for that. The people are all yeah, over the, the Internet. They, they're, they're furious. Yeah, Randy. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot on the Internet. People are really ticked off about how, you know, it was like a setup. Um, Yo, with, total with setup. Yeah. You know, they did they did not ask person. And I don't know what the other guy's name was. Some little guy was giving Trump the business about, you know, bankruptcies. And 
and I was Chris like, Wallace Donald, did. You please? Yeah. yeah, I was like, would you please say it? And finally he said, hey, everybody in Atlantic City has gone bankrupt. You know, guess what? It's yeah. New Jersey. Why didn't you ask that question to Chris Christie? That's his state happened on right? his watch. That whole state's right. in the toilet. They didn't, right. they didn't ask Fat Boy that. No, no. They were tough on no one. A little bit on Rand Paul uh, because they don't want Rand Paul either, even though Rand isn't like his. Mm -hmm. I don't think Rand is Ron. You know, I've said that before, but he is, right. you know, a little bit of a chip, a little chip <clears throat> off the old block. They don't want that. They don't want anybody like Rand or Ron Paul. They certainly don't want uh, Donald Trump because they can't control him and they know it. You know, I think what it's showing and proving I don't know if you've seen everything on the internet. People are waking up. People are saying, wow, you know, they're starting to ask the question, is our candidate selected? Two, they're, they're saying things about the media. Oh, my goodness, the media is controlled and biased. So they're starting to, it's waking people up is what it's doing. And it certainly didn't hurt Trump. In fact, he's now up in the polls. Just an FYI, he gained percentage points up uh, since this debate. Immediately following the debate, uh, uh, um, uh, Drudge Report, uh, they put out their poll, and 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 Donald, uh, I mean, it was, nobody even came a close second to him on the Drudge Report. So, it, and, and people are saying, you need to fire Megyn Kelly, uh, I mean, there's it's all sorts of outrage. Well, that focus group, Randy, guess what? Because I follow Donald Trump on, on Twitter. Uh, uh, that guy, Frank, came into Donald Trump you know, while, some time ago before any campaigns and wanted to work for Donald Trump. And so Donald interviewed him, but Donald didn't like him. You know, so there's something and said, you know, get out of here. I'm not going to hire you. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. fired before you're before you're hired and uh, found that out. So the whole thing was just a setup. And I was listening very oh. closely. What have I said? What candidates have I said on this show are selected? Which ones have I told you? I believe that the New World Order has selected. Do you remember? Well, of well, course, Jeb. Yep. Jeb, Hillary, and what did I say? I said Ted Cruz. Did I not? Right. I said right. those are the three, I believe. Uh, maybe Rubio. I said that one time. Well, guess what? The post show, <laughs> guess who was, guess who all reviewers said one? Uh, the following Jeb Bush, Rubio, Ted <laughs> Cruz, and Huckabee. Now, three out of four of them, Huckabee, Jeb, uh, well, uh, uh, Jeb, well, I shouldn't say so much Jeb Bush because I don't know. I know the rest of his family are, and um, and uh, Rubio. Anyway, CFR members associated with CFR members, globalists, uh, Rubio mm -hmm. and Christie not even eligible to run. Thank goodness, by the way, Ann Coulter. Thank you, Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter is her. going. Oh well, she. I met her. I have a. I have a photo of her and I together. A couple photos of her and I together. Very lovely. Um, in in person, she's even more striking. She's one of those people that looks even better off camera. 
very pretty, very, very oh, wow. tiny. Oh, Thanks. my goodness. She must weigh 100 pounds at the most. But she was very witty, very lovely. I had a great conversation with her. I was invited to my friend Jeffers Dodge and her are really good friends. And he had a private affair for which, I, you know, he asked me to, to come to. And it was a great evening. Mm -hmm. And she's she really was a very lovely woman. And uh, but she is out there saying uh, Ted Cruz is ineligible. He's not constitutionally eligible. And I don't know if you saw what it because I don't matter? think you watched the beginning. But yeah, exactly. Now there's the current one. But when they showed Ted Cruz for the first time, they were putting in all these blocks. They had Chiron, uh, Chiron in these blocks, some little facts about them. And one of the facts about Ted Cruz was, it's, you know, up until 2014 was a Canadian citizen, citizen. Like right in front of your very oh, eyes. Really? And I'm like, hello, are we this bold now? So, uh, and of course, though, Ted Cruz is coming in second place. What did I say to you? I said, if they could not get Jeb Bush's numbers up, if they couldn't sell another Bush to the people, they were going to uh, select Ted Cruz and then maybe Rubio. And it looks like mm -hmm. I'm right because all the pundits were, you know, what I just told you, their four favorites were Huckabee and uh, who was a CFR member, uh, Jeb Bush, of course, uh, Rubio and Ted Cruz. Those were their, their four. And in fact, in this fake focus group, uh, this is what he was doing. I, I, and I was just so, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so obvious what they're doing. First question, how many of you were, were Trump supporters before you came in? Pretty much all their hands. How many now? And nobody raised their hands. So what did you think about? Yeah, what did you think about Rubio? Oh, we loved him. So how many of you were disappointed by Trump? Raise your hands. So what did you think about Huckabee? So how disappointed were you with Trump? They kept doing that. Like every other question would be about another candidate. Every other question was how terrible was Trump over and over again. And they asked, what did you think about Ted Cruz? They all gushed presidential. Oh, he's our next president. And I just went, bingo. Now, Art Olivier and I have a little bit of a, a, a wager we haven't really wagered any money, but Art, if you're listening, I need to call you uh, because I think I'll win this bet again. Remember, I bet you whether, because I said back in 2007, what did I say to you? <laughs> I said, Obama's going to be the next POTUS. And you said, no, it's going to be Hillary Clinton. Remember that? And this time I said to you, who is going to be the nominee? You said Bobby Jindal. And I said, no, it's going to be Ted Cruz. So maybe we should do a little wager again there, <laughs> Art Olivier. So, uh, but so here's what's really funny. So since that debate, and people obviously are aware, Trump's numbers are even more up now. Uh, but this surfaced. There's a photo of Megyn Kelly. So here she's trying to say. And then I watched her with Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the head of the Democrat Party. I told you about her. I. Her and I emailed each other back and forth some years ago. Talk about, oh, my goodness. That woman, is she's just, I'm a Christian, so I won't say too much. But she is a horrible, horrible person and uh, you know, progressive to the max. And, of course, her and 
and and Kelly, Megan Kelly were having a field day about Donald Trump, about how all the women in the country were going to hate him now. He's terrible for women and women's rights. Just over and over again, how sexist he is, you know, how he objectifies women. And then, of course, this photo of Megan Kelly surfaced. I don't know. I, I don't I'm sure you saw it. You love women. Uh, and she is a beautiful woman. But this photo of Megyn Kelly with her breasts all hanging out in a black dress, uh, it's yeah. this hot photo of her. And this Man, also, there's a few of them. Yeah, there's a few of them. Oh, and take a listen to this because this also surfaced. We're only going to play a couple minutes of this. Take a listen. So when you get hired at Fox News, do they give you the litmus test to find out if you're like a conservative? Because it seems to me, I've, I've seen you, you've rolled your eyes on a couple of, you seem to be pretty conservative. You kind of... You kind of are. I'm conservative on some things, and I'm not on right. others. I, are you a registered Republican? I, I'm not going to say how I vote, but I, I'm conservative on some things, and I'm, and I'm not on others. And, and I love that people just make these assumptions about you because you work at Fox. Well, no, I make it because sometimes I, I, I hear the question in the line of questioning and but stuff. But that's my job. That's my job, to be a contrarian, to push people, to, you know, but does ask Ayers, interesting questions. Who, who hires you, actually? Was it Britt Hume or was it Bill Ayers? Well, oh, what, not Bill, Bill Ayers. Ayers. Roger, Roger, Ayers. Ayers. Roger Ayers. Is I'm he sorry. on the payroll now? Bill, not Bill Ayers. That's a shock. Roger Ayers. Is he the guy? Roger's He's the, the, brain, the, the brain behind all yeah, of Yeah, Roger's this. the one who makes the decision. And so... And I almost didn't get the job. Why? I don't know. But here's what happened. I, you know, go up there for my big interview, and I thought everything went great with Roger. And I was waiting to give my old boss an answer because they had offered me a full-time job at WJLA. Right. But I, I wanted the Fox job. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. I'm about to go off to Spain for a month. I, so I got a call. I got to be sort of a pest to Fox. Like, can you, know, can you give me an answer? And the, the, the other guy, the guy below Roger at the time, calls me up. He takes the call and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I think it's a no. Wow. I, I was like, what? Mm. I'm not like, used to no. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I, I don't think we're interested. So now I'm like, Wait, hold on. You can have all the time in the world. I'll call you when I'm back from Spain. Right. He's like, yeah, I don't think so. So I hang up the phone. I'm literally in, at the airport like, oh, my God. I didn't get I thought for sure I was going to get this job. And he goes, I need to check with Roger to make sure. Right. But, you know, I think we're passing. And then he calls me back 10 minutes later, and I'll never forget the, the first line was, well, Roger definitely wants you. Did you get this guy fired eventually? Oh, thank God, Roger. Roger wants you. Thank God, Roger Ailes. Did, are you that lucky that you leave law and then you get a job at WJLA in Washington right off the fr like the first job? Well, I was job? still practicing law when I got my job. There. Oh, and what, were, you, were you the anchor woman at WJLA? No, I was a reporter. A reporter. I was out there doing traffic reports That's, and so talking you, about carjacking. So you went from being the reporter to the anchor woman at Fox. Well, I started off as a reporter at Fox. Okay. So obviously, and this keeps going on. That's Howard Stern. So out of all the, yeah. you know, so she's saying something about Trump, but you go on Howard Stern and several minutes later into that conversation, they actually, I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you what they talk about. They talk about her breasts. They talk about her husband's penis, <laughs> you know, so I mean, you know, so, okay. So Howard. Howard, you ask this question of Donald Trump, shouldn't you take the speck out of your own eye? Who paid her? Who paid, based on her history, who paid her to ask those questions? Right? Fox. Right. Exactly. So here's something that I, and I found this, my friend Clarence. Clarence, if you're listening to the show, thank you so much. I, I'm going to play this clip in its entirety. I absolutely love this one. Take a listen. 
y'all. Okay, so it's a day after the base, yeah. and y'all know I am mad as hell. Oh, okay, no. and I would be pissed off. Okay, but see, somebody done already tried to come for Donald, yeah. so I got to come for them. All right, okay, we, we now, go. now. Last night on the debate, uh -huh. Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly yeah. asked Trump to respond to the comments he made about women on Twitter. Okay. And on his former NBC reality show, The Apprentice. Right, right. And this is what she said. When it comes to women, you call them fat pigs, dogs, and slob, mm -hmm. Kelly said. Mm -hmm. And then only Rosie O'Donnell Trump interrupted, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the audience started cheering, okay? Yeah, yeah. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell, yeah. Kelly reported before finishing her question. Mm -hmm. Here's the damn deal, Here Megan Kelly, Megan. or Kelly, Megan, whatever Kelly. your name is. Rosie O'Donnell started that whole foolishness. Yeah. She was on a view, and yeah. she the one spoke out against Donald, and yeah. Donald had to come back on her. Yeah. So I don't know why yeah. you gonna make this here a yeah. part of your forum last night. Yeah. You know, perhaps you don't need to be hosting debate. Uh -huh. Perhaps what she need to do, maybe it's time for us to file Kelly and make her go back to report news yeah. at the local news. Oh, Try right. Sesame Street. Okay. Maybe you should go back and report news for Sesame Street and okay. debate with them. Okay. You don't need to host another debate. No. You don't come for Donald like that. Right. He ain't done nothing to you. Y'all always that. breaking up his past. Yeah. He don't do nothing to nobody no unless way. you try to do something to him. That's how he Once is. you do something to him, yes. he go ahead on to do something to you. Yeah. So listen, let me get this straight. Get it straight. You, you, you low blow. You low. hit below the belt, Kelly. Low. You hit below the belt, girl. Yes. But blow on this. Blow. Leave my man Donald Trump the hell alone. Leave him alone. If you got something to say, yeah. you got something from your neck of the woods, North Carolina, uh, Lynette Hardaway. Really? And yes, Lynette Hardaway and Rochelle Richardson. And they release this. They have a, their own YouTube show. It's called The Viewer's View. And that's the name of their show. I, I think we should have them on the show. I think we should have Linda yeah, try to get them, them on the show. I really like them. 
Uh, so, yeah, no but, doubt. But their sediment, that is what I saw online. People are asking the same questions you and I've been asking for years. It's waking people up. Right. Here's one more question. We're going to talk just about the debate just a little longer. And then I want to go talk about this veteran because I think it's really important. But here's another question. Uh, now, again, Chris Wallace, all, all Brett Baer, all three of them were hitting Donald all night long. Let's just face it. Mm-hmm. Giving softballs to their candidates of choice, which you could clearly see. Jeb Bush, who lied. Oh, my goodness. I, You know what? It was lie after lie after lie after lie with Jeb Bush. Right. Uh, I wondered often, you know, if there was a paid audience because they did. They they gave stuff, but then he did, Trump did get a lot of cheers. Um. Um. Anyway, here's here's one more uh, uh, clip in which I I just was disgusted with this. Take a listen, Mr. Trump. In 1999, you said you were, quote, very pro-choice, even supporting partial birth abortion. You favored an assault weapons ban as well. In 2004, you said in most cases you identified as a Democrat. Even in this campaign, your critics say you often sound more like a Democrat than a Republican, calling several of your opponents on this stage things like clowns and puppets. When did you actually become a Republican? I don't think they like me very much. I'll tell you what, uh, I've evolved on many issues over the years, and you know who else has is Ronald Reagan evolved on many issues. And I am pro-life, and if you look at the question, I was in business, they asked me a question as to pro-life or choice, and I said, if you let it run, that I hate the concept of abortion. I hate the concept of abortion. And then since then I've very much evolved and what happened is friends of mine years ago were going to have a child and it was going to be aborted and it wasn't aborted and that child today is a total superstar, a great, great child. And I saw that and I saw other instances and I am very, very proud to say that I am pro-life. As far as being a Republican is concerned, I come from a place, New York City, which is virtually, I mean, it's almost exclusively Democrat. And I have really started to see some of the negatives, as an example, and I have a lot of liking for this man, but the last number of months of his brother's administration were a catastrophe. And unfortunately, those few months gave us President Obama, and you can't be happy about that. So, I mean, it was all that way all night. I thought his answers were 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 great. Um, I thought Dr. Ben Carson, he was very funny. I loved his answers. Rand Paul had a great exchange with Chris Christie. I don't know if you saw that one, Randy, or not. Um, what was interesting about that is, is Rand said, I watched you. I've seen photos of you hugging Obama. Why don't you go ahead and do that again? Um, and, you know, told told Chris Christie, you don't know the Bill of Rights. So I thought that was great. But then, of course, Fox News turned it around and, 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 and Rand Paul was out of line. Rand Paul looked weak because of that exchange. I went, are we living on the same planet? Or again, you know, I have to r- remind myself, Shalene, you're awake. You know what's going on here. This is all staged. They know who they don't want, you know, in there. They certainly don't want anybody of related to Ron Paul. 
uh, going all the way again. So it was just, it was just, it was just, I, I'm so glad they did it. And of course, Jeb Bush lied about illegal immigration and Common Core. So, you know, it was typical, but I'm glad I watched it. Glad I was able to, uh, you know, get notes in and see for it myself so we could report it on the show. Uh, but anyway, right. again, you know, we believe that they're selected, not elected. But again, I thought yeah. Trump did really good. So moving on, moving on. One thing. Uh, before, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to bring up any bad memories, but you know what that debate like it's like watching last year's Super Bowl. We know who won, but then the announcers tell you the Seahawks won. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Bob. yeah. I know it's 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 it, it's true though. You're you're absolutely you're absolutely right about that. So there's another situation turning into another Bundy-like standoff. Uh, this time with a veteran. Uh, from Idaho, and if I lived in Idaho, I'd be on this veteran's lawn. I'd be there to help defend him. Uh, he's had do dozens uh, gathered at his home. Uh, now, this happened on Thursday, but I didn't get the news until we were off the show, unfortunately. Um, this is in Priest River, Idaho. Uh, the veteran's name is John Arnold, and he received a letter on July 30th telling him that the VA – we're planning to come pick up his guns. Now, Arnold's friend, Ranger Rick, this is what he said. A couple of days ago, it was going to be me sitting here with John. And today, it's not just me. It's quite a few folks that so it's veterans, veterans taking care of veterans. Uh, so that's what he said. Apparently, what happened is uh, John Arnold. Randy he had a stroke about a year ago and in uh -huh. January uh, he filed some paperwork with the VA which stated that Arnold was financially incompetent and could not oh, handle his affairs and remember we talked about this on the show when we talk about it on the show we even had Art here chiming in when we discussed how now I think it was Art it could have been another one of our guests but anyway uh, talking on this show about how Obama's tactics now is to take away guns. Oh, it was, no, it was when we had Gun Owners of America on, uh, Eric, when we had Eric on. And uh, talking about how, you know, if, if, if veterans are financially, quote, unquote, incompetent, that they're going to take away mm -hmm. their guns. What is what does right. your financial have to do with you being a gun owner? See, they're just doing, if they can't take away our Second Amendment, they're going to work around it. And of course, they want to take away the, the guns of veterans because they know veterans know how to use their guns. I've told my dad, you keep your right. mouth shut about everything. Don't say one word about anything anymore. So this yeah. is what so this is what happened. But I want to thank our friend Robert Gibson for an update here. So on uh, so over the weekend, apparently. Uh, you know, the more, more people showed up and, uh, roughly about a hundred people, including their local sheriff, their local sheriff is on their side. So I want to thank this sheriff, Sheriff Wheeler, Sheriff Wheeler. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are supposed to be. In fact, this is what he said. This is what Sheriff Wheeler said. 
I took an oath to uphold the Constitution. Wow. If only all our sheriffs in this country said this. If only all our elected representatives believed this. I love it so much. I'm repeating it. I took an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution and uphold the laws of Idaho. This seemed appropriate to show my support. I was going to make sure Mr. Idle, Mr. Arnold's rights weren't going to be breached. Now, also, Matthew Shea, he's a representative from Washington State. Washington State. So I want to thank this. He's, it's Washington State. He's in Spokane Valley. Uh, so thank you also, Matthew Shea, who went, who went, look, I used to live in Spokane. It's Spokane, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They're, they're right neck and neck. You know, it's a, it's a short drive, but nonetheless, he, he, he's not uh, this guy's representative, but yet he still went there. And what Shay said, I wanted to be there showing defiance against tyranny. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, also, uh, the protest against the gun seizure was prompted by Representative Heather Scott, a, a, a Republican from Idaho. We want to thank her as well, who informed fellow residents of the VA's attentions um, and she and when she was made aware of the letter. So we want to thank these representatives and the local sheriff uh, who, who were there. Uh, apparently, uh, Arnold's house, what they said was that the VA inspector would not be coming to Arnold's house that day. That's what they're, you know, they chanted, they sang patriotic songs. Uh, the veteran service officer also said Arnold may appeal the paperwork stating he was incompetent to handle his funds. So it looks like there might be another victory here, but all the residents and this local sheriff and local representatives from Idaho and Washington State standing up. So that is a bit of good news for once. For once. Yeah. Now, along that line, though, uh, an area where I lived, you know, because I lived uh, when I was a kid, my dad was stationed in, in Fairchild Air Force Base. So that's why I lived there. But later in life, uh, going to college and, and living in the Puget Sound, Seattle area became my my residence. And so we've been talking about Seattle on here a few times. Unfortunately, my former home has become extremely progressive. And some shall, I, I hate to say it, but I think Seattle is even more progressive than the communist state of California. Uh, I never thought I'd see that day uh, coming. But the Seattle City mm. Council is supposed to vote today. Uh, on gun violence tax, on a gun violence tax. So apparently if the gun grabbers can't repeal the Second Amendment, you know, what they're going to try to do is infringe upon our rights by uh, taxing, put a high tax on guns and ammo within the city. Well, everybody will just go outside of the city of Seattle. Well, that, what, what they're that, trying that, to do is... It's about, yeah. It's a backdoor way of them trying to shut down the uh, the the gun and the, the the sporting goods stores and inside their city limits. 
Right. Well, that's exactly what gun owners are saying, and the NRA and and gun and 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 gun store owners. Well, we'll just close up in Seattle, and we'll go open up our gun shops outside the city. And gun owners are saying, well, we'll just go buy our guns outside the city. So you're not going to stop us, nor are you going to stop criminals. But of course, that's not their real objective. If their real objective was to stop criminals, well, you know, they deal with things differently. Uh, this is all about mm -hmm. tyranny. This is about control. And so that is unfortunately what is happening in uh, in in my you know old home state, which just just makes me, uh, you know, really really sad. Uh, you know, I just can't believe that we've come this far. It's interesting. I was talking to, was running some errands today. And I was at a store, just spoke to, you know, start speaking to the clerk. And I never assume, especially living in California, you trust me, you really can't, you know, uh, believe or, you know, here, I just think everybody's a progressive. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I go right. walking around. Everybody here is a progressive. That way I'm not shocked or disappointed uh, otherwise until somebody opens their mail. And uh, I spoke to this clerk today. Uh, she was wide awake. She was just as awake as you and I. We had a great conversation. And what she says to me is working in the public, she, she said more and more and more people are definitely, definitely waking up. So that was good news to hear from her. Now, Arlene's Flowers. Now, last week we had on Aaron Klein, the baker from Oregon. And so, but before that, remember, we talked about Arlene's Flowers uh, for some time. And of course, Arlene's Flowers, mm -hmm. the owner uh, of that uh, shop, uh, Brielle is her, is Baronelle, I think is her. And uh, so she's news because Kennewick, Washington State City Council is scheduled to discuss tomorrow night during its uh, workshop meeting a proposed resolution to support the florist to support her so that is really good news uh specifically council member john trumbo introduced the resolution in early june and it's since been under review by the city's business and administration committee so trumbo took the wording for the res resolution um from uh from uh, they, he received it from the director of the Family Policy Institute of Washington, which is Joseph Backholm, support of Baron, and the Family Policy Institute is, of course, one of Baronell's supporters. And Backholm has appealed to local government officials to support its resolution. Councilman Bob Parks, uh, at the time, urged the council to take action on the resolution. Councilman Greg Jones suggested it first be passed. On the budget and administrative committee and the council agreed by consensus so uh this is you know this is good news the resolution says that the kenwick and pasco city councils encourage a free market where the government should not be forcing anyone to violate his or her religious beliefs in life and work so i want to thank uh that uh that local city council uh, on what the, and what they are doing, uh, and again, of course, this gay couple, and it's just the same way as in 
a memories pizza uh you know well that's a little bit different but the same with the bakery and with with uh this florist uh these were repeat customers so they did business with these individuals in fact baronelle has stated over and over again in interviews that she considered this gay couple her friends they've been coming to her shop for that long she just did not want to provide flowers for the ceremony due to her beliefs so that is a little bit of an update on that and randy i also have another one I, my friend michael Greer. michael thank you so much for sending this over i said that i would uh make sure to let people know about this uh this event it's tomorrow night tomorrow night uh there's going to be a town hall meeting a town hall meeting on uh the the medicine the forced vaccines that the state of california has uh sb277 course uh it's now a state law so there's going to be a town hall meeting uh and on the panel include wendy silvers and dr bob sears and senator ben allen has been invited uh what they're going to do is find out the facts it's tomorrow night 7 p.m to 9 p.m the community room at 7166 west manchester avenue again 7166 west manchester avenue west chester which is in los angeles west chester california if you would like to rsp or find out further information you can contact vicky neeson vicky neeson the phone number is 310-883-4177 or repeat it one more time 310-883-4177 so i want to thank michael for that go find out and by the way i spoke to a lot of parents in the past few days randy nobody is thrilled regardless of what their opinions are about vaccines <clears throat> no no one is happy about this uh, forced vaccines. More and more people are, are contemplating, have a lot of time to contemplate, but they are contemplating a homeschooling because homeschoolers for right now are exempt from this medical tyranny. So we shall see what happens uh, with, with that. That's the latest. And that's what I have uh, for us. We're rounding out the hour. Uh, in the next hour, we are blessed to have G. Edward Griffin on our show. Again, I've said he's one of my absolute favorite people. I, and you know what, Randy? And I don't even uh -huh. think he knows this. Uh, back in uh, 2006, when I was Art Olivier's campaign manager. Now, I was not yeah. his original campaign manager. Art was the libertarian gubernatorial candidate. Good. And uh, we, I, I had a friend that uh worked uh for uh he worked on the film america freedom to fascism aaron russo he had become friends with aaron and so uh and this was my friend yazik and so yazik told aaron about art and about me and, and he invited us over to his home and so i became friends with aaron unfortunately friendship didn't last uh as long as i would have liked for it too since he died early of cancer but when i was sitting in his home watching america freedom to fascism 
I saw Gia Griffin. I saw Ron Paul. I saw a lot of people for the first time because I was just waking up. I woke up, like I said, end of 2004. So I wasn't quite, you know, liberty minded. I was still waking up. I was still getting my education. And uh-huh. uh, I was like, who is this G. Edward Griffin? Who is this Ron Paul? Because those two were the two that impressed me the most, as I recall. And I immediately went, got Creature from Jekyll Island. And as you know, I've mentioned the book on this show several times. And I yeah. believe it's a book that everybody, everybody, first of all, you should watch America Freedom to Fascism, uh, Aaron Russo. You can find it online and you should definitely read Creature from Jekyll Island. So we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll be introducing Jed, as I call him, the man, uh, to, uh, to everybody when we come back from our break. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for the second half of the Wake Up Mission Show. Here at the Wake Up Mission Show, we want all of our listeners to be debt-free and financially free. We believe a free market system is best for the restoration of liberty. If you are tired of looking for a job in this hopeless market, or if you are struggling to pay your monthly bills, let us help. We have several income opportunities for you which are tested and proven by our company, The Wake Up Mission LLC. To learn more, go to our website, www.thewakeupmissionshow.com and click on the Financial Solutions tab.
welcome back to the Wake Up Mission Show. Well, thank you for tuning in to the second hour of the Wake Up Mission Show and Underground Network, Connecting the Dots for Liberty. Today, we have somebody who I just absolutely adore. Uh, he's an author, lecturer, filmmaker, and he has been made many successful documentaries, including uh, writing the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, with my friend Michael J. Murphy, and he produced what in the world are they spraying and he's also listed in the who's who of america and he's very well respected in the liberty movement and uh please go to his website realityzone.com realityzone.com uh, at g-man <laughs> thank you so much for being here today uh, thank you shalene g-man i i don't know what to think about that one <laughs> 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 I've called that to you before um, yeah. and, and joked with you that only I could use that 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 nickname. Okay, you, so, you've, got the, you've got the exclusive on that one. <laughs> yes, 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 I have the exclusive on that one. So uh, Ed and I, uh, Randy, we met at a tea party through a mutual friend, and I was very honored uh, to meet him that day because uh, your book, Creature from Jekyll Island, talk about an awakening. And for anybody who's listening to this show who may have not read the book yet. Um, also, you can listen to you reading it online, by the way, for those who would rather do that. Uh, tell people how The Creature from Jekyll Island came about. Oh, boy, I don't know that we have enough time for that. Let me condense that way down. <laughs> you know, it's like so many things that, that turn out to be important in one's life. Yeah. It doesn't sound very important, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's what happened here I, way, way back in the beginning of my uh, of my career, if you want to call it that, where I was trying to uh, produce films and documentaries and radio programs to, uh, you know, enlighten the public about what the heck was really going on out there. I decided I wanted to do a documentary on the topic of inflation. Now, I didn't know too much about it, except I knew that the government somehow had something to do with it. And I thought I would find out. And when I found out, I would tell everybody in this documentary. So I started to do my research and I filled up a couple of cardboard boxes with books and papers and recordings and everything I could find. And to make a long story short, I never did produce the film. Other things came along, mm -hmm. seemed more important. But uh, in, oh, I don't know, some years later, four or five years later, somebody asked me if I would be willing to, to give a talk on the topic of, um, of taxes. And I said, well, you know, I really don't know much about taxes, but I could talk to you about um, a hidden tax uh, called inflation. Well, that they like that idea. What what's that all about? So anyway, I I was called upon to do that little job, and I did, and I got my boxes out of the back of the cupboard, and you know, read through all my notes and all those things, and I was I was amazed at how much was in there. I'd forgotten much of it, and it was an extremely important story. So it pushed it back up into my frontal lobes again, and and uh, fortunately, the small little audience that uh, was there that evening. Uh, seemed to like it a lot, and they encouraged me to to put it on the road, so to speak. So I did. I polished it up, and I, I gave a lot of talks on the topic of money. I called it the crash course on money, and uh, those were full-day seminars. Eventually, it was all about the Federal Reserve and about the banking system and how money comes into being and all of that sort of thing, what gives it value, why we have inflation, what's going to happen to the dollar in the future if the trends continue, all of these themes. And then I decided that I really didn't know enough about it. People were asking me really tough questions about, you know, like I was supposed to know what they were supposed to do with their money. 
And little old ladies would come up and say, well, you know, Mr. Griffin, I don't have just inherited this and not enough, but should I put it all into, into real estate or should I take it out and bury it in the backyard and all this stuff? And I thought, gosh, I don't know the answers to those realistic questions. I know about banking and the Federal Reserve. So I stopped giving those lectures because I was a little embarrassed by not being able to have intelligent answers to these people in the audience. So I went to school. I enrolled in the College for Financial Planning and uh, got my CFP designation, not because I wanted to become a uh, financial planner, which I never did, but I just wanted to learn more about the real world of, of money and investments and that kind of thing. So I came out of that, and then I realized, okay, I'm ready to go. Then I really got serious about research, uh, Shalane, and uh, mm -hmm. it was seven years after that point that I finally got the book out the other end. And so you see, it was a long, tortuous journey. And the reason, one of the reasons, is that I started from ground zero. I knew nothing about anything like this. You know, in school, I didn't even have any interest in it. But when I came out the other end, I was just amazed with the information I had. And I produced this book, this 600-page book. I thought, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, who's going to want to read this thing? I thought mm -hmm. I wound up with a whole garage full of a boat anchors somewhere down the line and not even good for that because they float and uh, but, uh, <laughs> to my amazement not to my amazement my gosh the book is just so like hotcakes we haven't we've never advertised it and we've gone through i guess uh, 38 printings now and it just goes on and on wow that's because people like me read it and then we go out and we tell the world about it uh exactly, but you spoke the yeah. truth you you spoke the truth uh, the real reason behind the Federal Reserve System uh, and, you know, it's the name Creature from Jekyll Island because they were on the, uh, this island off of New York uh, planning this, plotting this. Why, you know, this has struck my curiosity because we what we do know is that in the late 1800s, some bankers started meeting. Oh, but how exactly, why the Federal Reserve System, which is not a government entity, it's a private, well, I call it a cartel. Uh, That's exactly what it is. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So why, why did they create this? Why did they take us off the gold standard? Well, why does anybody create a cartel? All cartels are, are formed for one primary purpose, and that is to enhance the economic uh, competitive position of the members of the cartel. And, and they do that by eliminating competition. The idea is that if, if you can't buy out or destroy your competitors, you join with them and you get them all to join into your little cozy little club. And you agree not to compete with each other and you start to divide up the markets between you. Say, okay, you're too big to knock out of the ring, so you're in. And the guy over there, he's too big to knock out of the ring, so he's in. There's the three of us. Now, everybody else we can knock out. And uh, that's what they tend to do. They knock everybody else out, dominate the field. They divide the markets up between them. You get North America, I get South America. You get pharmaceuticals, I get automobiles, whatever the deal is. And they divide up the market. And they, they try and eliminate competition. And they do that by creating you know, cartel agreements uh, to, to share patents and processes between firms. They fix prices and all of that to fix the market to their advantage so that the consumer has no choice. He has to take the product or the service from that source. That's why cartels come into being, is to eliminate competition and to inflate 
the, the profit margins far above what they would be if there were free market competition. So that's the same reason that the banking cartel was formed back in 1913. It was passed into law, but the work on it was started in 1910. Uh, the biggest banks uh, in the United States had reached the point where they, you know, they were competitors, but they finally realized that they couldn't knock each other out of the ring. So they said, okay, let's form a, a banking cartel. No different than a banana cartel or an oil cartel. Let's just make it a banking cartel, and we'll, we'll regulate our own industry with rules and, and regulations that we like, very much to our liking, because it, it ensures our position. It, it allows us to control these uh, new banks coming in. We'll control them and regulate them in the name of you know, helping the people, but it's really regulating the competition, making sure that there was no competition between banks, serious competition. And uh, the, biggest, the biggest advantage, of course, was to allow the banks to do things which would normally be considered unethical or you know, illegal. It allows the banks to create money out of nothing, for example, and loan it into existence, a, a process that if you and I were to do, uh, we'd be sent to jail. We'd be, they'd be, right. Yeah, they'd say, you're a scammer. You, you, create, you, don't, you can't lend that money. It's not your money. You don't have any money. You just wrote a check on it. You don't have anything in the bank. You can't lend money that you don't have. And of course, they're right, but they do it all the time, and that's how banks lend money. Mm. They don't have any money to lend. They, they create it and so forth. So that was all written into the rules and regulations, and that's why the cartel was created, so they could write those rules and regulations and make the things that would be illegal for us to do, make them entirely legal for the banking fraternity to do. So there in a nutshell is what, it, it, what it's all about. That's the reason for it. You know, even when I read your book and even when I've read other books or watched documentaries of this period, I still can't understand how they were able to do it so seamlessly. Uh, and how that the American people, I, I don't know if they accepted it, but there didn't seem to be a lot of protesting. So am I, am I missing something? I mean, how were they able to implement this so seamlessly without a lot of outrage from the Americans? Well, I think, uh, Helene, there are a couple of uh, elements involved in that. Uh, it was pretty seamless, I have to say. It was very slick and very yes. little opposition, although there was some, but they were able to pretty well handle that uh, along the way. Um, we might come back to that because some of the ways in which they did handle the opposition was very shrewd and, and very clever. But basically, I think there were several things going for them. First of all, it was a slow process, a little bit here and a little bit there. This whole banking scheme that we're talking about um, – the name for it is central banking, the ability to create money and loan it into existence, all that. That didn't arise on the scene with the Federal Reserve. It was, that was already here. All, already the, all of the state banks were doing that. This, everything the Federal Reserve would be doing after its creation was being done by the state banks. And that's the reason that the, the banking system was so messed up, because state banks were going bankrupt. People were losing their money. The banks were closing their doors, you know, investors lost everything, and that was part of the cry for reform. We need banking reform. We want to put an end to that. Well, they put an end to it by institutionalizing it and making it bigger. They didn't really end anything. They just pumped it up and made it bigger. So, and the idea of central banking came out of Europe. Uh, the Federal Reserve was copied very closely after the Bank of England. 
And the Bank of England itself was uh, sort of the end of an evolutionary process that goes back several centuries. So part of the reason is that these concepts of banking uh, were were familiar to Mm -hmm. Americans and everybody. We were born into it. It wasn't that it was just dropped on us like a big, you know, big block of, of ice or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just a little change here, a little change there. And the other reason is that, that it seems so complicated. And there's a lot of effort made by these people, I think, to, to use terminology and, uh, and processes that make it seem beyond the understanding of the average person. And so they really don't teach it in school. Um, no. Except when you want to, when you want to become a banker, then you enroll in a course and you learn about, you know, banking and currency and, and reserve ratios, and you get right down to the technicalities of it, and over, step right over the principles and the fundamental concepts behind it. It was amazing to me that after I plowed through all of this and and my own book was published, I started getting letters from bankers, you know. Bankers at the local level say, you know, I've been in banking all my life, and I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was blown yeah. away by that. But, you know, the average guy in the local bank, they don't know these things. They know all about the technical side. That, you know, they can make it work, but they don't understand the concepts behind it. Never, never presented to them. doesn't seem necessary. Just make it work. That's all. So I think that's the other thing. And, and then, of course, the, another reality is that after a while – this banking industry has become so powerful. And yes. So they control the media. They control the government agencies. You know, it's what they now call regulatory capture, you know, where the, the industries capture the government agencies that are supposed to regulate them. Well, mm-hmm. the same thing happened here, except that the, the banks have really, in my view, have essentially captured control of the whole bloody government. And yes. uh, people don't realize yeah. that. And so that makes it easier for them to pull these things off because nobody is op- opposing them. Nobody is arresting them. You know, they, a bank will be exposed for having swindled $20 billion from, from the American people, and they get a big fine. They get a big, hefty fine, and the people say, oh, boy, those banks really got fined for that. But where did the money go? Well, the money for the federal government. The federal government took the money and bailed the banks out, gave it back to them. And the, and the executives who pulled off that uh, crime were given a bonus and promoted, you see. It's, it, people have to understand that this thing is, is a criminal activity. Yes. Well, I think, I think some things had changed. I think that, and, and, I, and I mean this, and I know you're a very humble man, you and your wife, and, and Joan, you're very humble over at your camp. But I, but I, but I mean this. I think between you, Aaron, and Ron, some of us did wake up, and there was all these end the Fed rallies. Of course, Dr. Paul, when he was in Congress, had his end the Fed bill, which I always knew it wasn't going to really go anywhere because they don't want it to. You know, there's not enough Ron Pauls in Congress, so people did wake up, and um, and unfortunately. Uh, though we're to the point where you're right, the banksters own everything. They pretty much all own the world. I, and I hope you don't uh, don't take this. I don't want to put any ideas out there. But Randy and I often report on missing and dead banksters. How was it that you wrote this book? Uh, did you get any sort of, I mean, were you ever followed? Did anything bad happen? Uh, because your book is pretty, it's, 
I mean, it's if, if you're not awake, it's going to wake you up. So did you have to endure anybody coming after you, any government officials at your door? No, I haven't. Uh, I've, I've been expecting something like that. You know, I understand how these people operate. Uh, mm-hmm. They they go through a certain process to eliminate their opposition. Yes. The first the first thing they do is usually successful in 99% of the cases is to ignore it. Just yeah. ignore it. It goes away because um, people like myself or organizations, political candidates, uh, crusading journalists, all the whatever, whoever this person or group is, they usually don't have the financial means to to uh, stay in the battle. They don't have access to the media. Nobody really hears them speak. They, they don't read about what they have written or when they are presented to the public, they're presented through the filter of, a, say, a Wikipedia, uh, which is loaded with uh, trolls in there who make sure that people like myself are always described as um, marginal or kooky yes. or uh, yes. conspiracy, mm-hmm. conspiracy theorists yes. or something like that. So the right. average person looking for information, they'll look you or me up in, in Wikipedia or other sources. Now, oh, one of those nuts, huh? And that's how they do it. And um, it's very effective. As they say, about 90 to 99% of the opposition just withers away. It has no following, no money, it has no communication right. ability. So that takes care of most of it. The next thing, of course, is if in spite of that, uh, somebody or some group survives, the next thing is to demonize them, really demonize yes. them in the press. That's when it goes off of the uh, Wikipedia and into the headlines where so-and-so is accused of child molesting or or, or um, terrorism or, oh, you name it, you know. They'll come up oh, yeah. with terrible things to charge people with. And there again, the average gum-chewing public will say, hmm, I just read about that in the newspaper. I didn't know he was that bad. He seemed like such a nice person, but now listen to this, you know. They believe it. Oh, he was and that's a all. good man. Yeah, he was a good neighbor. He was a nice guy um, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Believe me, yeah. I, I know. I lived it. Well, Mr. Yeah. Griffin, I've got a question. I, I've read a lot of articles in the paper. What do you say to like these, um, if you want to call them journalists, where they make the argument where, well, we have to have a standardized currency. The reason, and they, they say their reason for the Federal Reserve coming into play or into existence was, well, you know, you had one region of the country using a one currency, another region of the country using a different type of currency, and we had to standardize it. What would you say to those people? Well, I would say that they're wrong. <laughs> I don't see any evidence for that. There's, there's, uh, in fact, there's a lot of evidence for a non-standardized currency because that allows the best currency to uh, reveal itself or to be identified. If people have no choice, if they, if they have to take a one currency, it could be the worst currency in the bunch, and they'd never know it because it's, they have no option. The only people that want to have a standardized currency, currency, and enforce that with law, are those who are afraid that that currency won't stand uh, freedom of choice. See, I'm all for a standardized currency if it is a process of a natural evolution. This, of the competition between currencies where one is proven to be more effective, everybody chooses it. We've had standardized currencies in history. It's called gold or silver. Those are standardized currencies that have been standard over long periods of time and over large geographical areas. And they are standard not because some king 
or, or emperor said, this is the currency you're going to use or off with your head, they became standardized <laughs> and universally accepted because they were good money. They had all the best qualities of money. So I'm all for standardized money, but these guys don't want it that way. They want to pass a law and say, we will create the money, and you will use our money as the standardized money, and if you don't, off with your head. See, they don't want to talk about mm -hmm. that side of it. Oh. Ed, we recently had Karen Hudis, uh, whistleblower from the World Bank. Uh, and, you know, on her Twitter account a couple of days ago, she tweeted that the global uh, currency reset was, you know, upon us. Uh, what do you have to say to, to that? Well, I don't know. I've been hearing that for a long, long time. I do believe that there is a global currency reset um, planned, and mm -hmm. it's inevitable probably the way things are going. And so I certainly wouldn't argue that uh, that's an impossibility, but I don't know about setting a date on it. I think that's uh, rather a pragmatic thing. They'll wait and see how everything plays out. In fact, I hope that because of the work that we're doing, we can even postpone it and then postpone it again and then finally make it never happen because we know if there's a global currency reset it's going to be an international fiat currency that would be no right. different than the ones we have except for one more defect which is that you'll have no place to go other than that right right now we, right. Can, we can jump from currency to currency hopefully make you know a, a little escape from chaos but once it's one currency then there's your standardized currency they're talking about, and you have no escape. You know, speaking of oh, currency like to currency, right, Andy, uh, uh, Ed, speaking of currency to currency, I uh, received some news a few days ago that dinar dealers, you know, we're talking Iraqi dinar, and of course they're currency dealers, and they don't just have dinar, but they were focused, the FBI did raids on several uh, currency dealers, uh, especially those who dealt with dinar. Why do you think this is happening? You know, I don't have any idea on that one. It's a little strange to me. I know there's been mm -hmm. a dinar um, um, movement. Uh, I was going to call it a craze, but I, I think that's, mm -hmm. that's overly unkind because there may be something to it. I've never been much impressed by the possibility that a dinar is going to get suddenly backed by something of tangible value like gold or silver and really become anything other than another fiat currency. But a lot of people do, and so I, I don't want to you know, denigrate their, their views on it, but I don't see why the feds would be moving in and raiding these um, currency dealers. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, you know, other than maybe perhaps um, there might be some sort of reevaluation or, you know, maybe they're looking into maybe some of them are scams. I, I don't know. I, 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 was, I was hoping that you, you <laughs> well, knew something because I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it, but that's always funny when the government says, well, we're checking into this because we suspect a scam. You know, my gosh, the whole right. Federal Reserve System is a scam. Right. The biggest scam of all history. And these scammers are going around and saying, well, we're looking for scammers, you know. We'll put these scammers right. out of business. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But anyway, they get away with it. Right. They certainly do. Now, there's been a lot of talk. In fact, tomorrow, 
Uh, what we've done on this show, Ed, is we've bro we've broken down. We have theme days. Today's May Day Monday. We just do top, you know, top of the news of the week, uh, yeah. and then Tuesday we do Truth Truth Tuesday. That's when we talk about what you would you would love. We we've had Michael J. Murphy talking chemtrails, geoengineering, uh, on our show. We talk about items that are truth that you know the media puts out as just conspiracy, and anybody who believes it are a bunch of nuts. So tomorrow I'm going to talk about what you know September, uh, the Shamika, the jubilation, the end of Jade Helm, uh, CERN. Uh, but there's also another quite disconcerting uh, rumors that have been floating out there is that September is going to be a surprise in more ways than one. And one of the things that is being mentioned is that the stock market is going to do like a depression error uh, crash and that uh, the economy is going to completely collapse. Wondering if you've heard these rumors as well uh, and if so, what can people do to prepare for such a collapse? Yeah, those are two separate questions, really. And um, yeah. and the division between them is more significant than it might seem, because there's no question in my mind that most of the things, these calamities that people are uh, pointing to with alarm and predicting, no, no doubt in my mind that most of them are, hap are going to happen. But when they throw a date on it, it implies that they have some kind of an inside track, you know, that well, they really know. They got the ins they sat around that. They happened to be there around that table when the date was set. And they know. And that that I don't get too excited about because I've been listening to dates on these things for many, many, many years. And the dates never happen or some, most of them don't happen. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that people who get drawn into that discussion begin to look stupid in the eyes of their friends, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's mainly the reason they do that is because they want to they get folks who are concerned about, really unjustly concerned about what's happening. They want to get them out on a limb. So they're making all kinds of statements that eventually will come back and it would be like egg on their face. And it'll, mm -hmm. it'll demonstrate to their friends that they're not trustworthy sources of information. I think that's partly the reason for all of that going around. Uh, no, that's just my speculation. I know that if I, were, if I were running the other side, so to speak, I would do something like that. I would set into motion uh, disinformation programs designed primarily to, um, to discredit those who are really on the right track. And so I, I suspect that some of this is in that category. But now the other, is, the other question is even more important, and that is what can you do to protect yourself? I think of the, um, oh, I, it was years ago when I was just uh, beginning to get involved in all of this. I was traveling on a, on a lecture tour, and I'd forgotten where I was. It was in the north, uh, one of the northern states. It might have been Montana. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was a northern state, and they get mm -hmm. cold weather up there. And I remember talking to some people, and there were some ranchers there. And this, this rancher told me the story. He said, you know, people are talking about the, when's the collapse coming. He said, you know, up here people say, well, when is the next big norther coming? And he said, <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't know when the next norther is coming, but we know it's coming. And uh, <laughs> we prepare for it now as though it's going to come today or next year. Mm -hmm. We don't have to know the date to prepare. So I, th I thought, you know, that's really the answer here. We don't have to know whether it's coming in September, October, or November. We know it's coming. 
or much of it is coming. So let's start preparing for it. Now we're back to the second question, which is, what do you do? Well, obviously, uh, we're, if we want to just talk about the economic sector here, which is the drift of this uh, conversation, the best thing you can do to protect yourself is to get rid of, of the currencies that are going down the tubes. If you have your life savings and all of, all of your wealth, well, what little or great amount there may be, if it's in terms of dollars, if it's cash in a bank, uh, if it's a savings account, uh, if it's in a, an annuity or a life insurance program that has values expressed in dollars, uh, you're in trouble because it's like standing on the track and you see that locomotive coming down the track. It's aimed right at you, and that locomotive is the destruction of the value of the American dollar. So anything that you have in terms of savings or wealth expressed in dollars, you stand a very high risk of losing it. So, and if you know this, why do you stay on the track? Get mm -hmm. off the track, you know? So that's the first thing you could do, and now that's easy said but not so easily done. Where would you put your money? What values would you put it into? Well, that's where you need some, some good guidance. You need to read and get informed, make, it, make up your own mind primarily. There are different strokes for different folks. Uh, I personally like um, gold and silver, but there are other things. Real estate has some value as long as you can afford to pay the taxes and undergo the risk of having somebody take it from you because of right. some legal maneuver. Everything has its um, disadvantages and its advantages. I kind of I joke about this, and I haven't done it, but I I, I think it's a good idea. A warehouse full of cheap white wine wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> 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 I like that. I prefer I prefer red. So my my red. warehouse will have yeah. to be red. All right. You know, old tires, anything of tangible value uh, other than than money which can be created and destroyed so easily. So that's how you protect yourself in a, in sort of a broad pen stroke answer. Um now, but even that won't work if if the system continues the way it's going into totalitarianism then it won't, make right. it won't make any difference you have gold silver or wine or whatever fine art or anything it, it's you've lost it all so i think any plan to answer the question what can you do has got to focus primarily on how we reverse the trend and save the system and restore the concept of liberty and free markets i agree with you what a real when we're going to go into that questioning here in just a second but what are your thoughts real quickly on bitcoins well okay bitcoins um, i think are very interesting from uh, the point of view that it's caused people to think about the nature of money bitcoin is a challenge to currencies because um, it seems to be beyond the control of governments although there's some question about whether there is some way that governments can grab hold of the technology and, and exploit it or prevent it. But anyway, it seems to be beyond the control of governments and banks. The, the um, technology argues that uh, there are limited amounts that could be created, no more. Therefore, if you have a currency based on Bitcoin or some other similar system, the limited quantity means that inflation would be impossible. In fact, it means that deflation would be inevitable, so those who save will be rewarded, and so forth. So all those are all good qualities, but the one thing about Bitcoins that I 
have a big question mark on is that it's not tangible. It's kind of like vaporware, you know. It doesn't exist except electronically. And if the power goes out, if there's an EMP or a solar flare or whatever, a big fire, earthquake, and the power goes out and the Internet goes down, where are your Bitcoins, you know? Nothing right. works. But then that's true right. also of other forms of money, like the present banking system. The power goes down, Internet goes down. Where's your bank account? Where's your credit card? The same thing can be said for that. But it, if you're dealing with gold and silver, uh, you still have the gold and the silver, even though the Internet is down. So I still go back to those old trusted uh, um, means of uh, exchanging value and uh, you know, creating money. But I, I, I like bitcoins and I like all of this uh, cryptocurrency technology that's being developed because it's causing people to think. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's going to end up somewhere down the line evolving into a means of transferring purchases uh, electronically without having to go through credit cards and through the banking system. And if that's all that it produces, I think it's a great thing. Well, fantastic. And, you know, going back to what you said about totalitarianism and you know last time I was a guest in your home I, I was encouraged during that period you had the Occupy movement for those who were not communists because there were a lot of liberty-minded individuals that went there you had the Tea Party was very strong uh, but unfortunately since that time boy <laughs> Ed uh, you know and I thought with the Ron Paul revolution uh, just the opposite would occur, but we are living, uh, and I don't know if you saw his comments, but former President Jimmy Carter came out and admitted what I've been saying on the show since day one, we're an oligarchy, and he came out, he admitted to that, America is an oligarchy. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you, do, I don't know if anybody has, nobody has a crystal ball, I know this, but what, do you think things are going to get worse? Uh, do you think they might get better? Do you think there's any hope? Hope? I know this is a lot of questions, but I want you to talk about the state of what we're in and what can be done. Well, obviously things can get worse and they can get better. They could go either way, depending mm -hmm. on what. What is the thing that would make that difference? And the only thing that would make that difference would be the extent and the speed to which uh, the American people become enlightened and then take the next step and become active and, and, and become um, proactive rather than just passive in just riding the boat and seeing where it goes. And that, so that's the reason that you and I are doing what we're doing. We're trying to build that kind of a movement in time, strong enough and in time to actually turn things around. It can be done. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it can be done. That's the important thing. And I think it, to put that into, into focus, um, many people have the mistaken idea that the only way to do that is to get the masses involved, to right. convince, you know, to get 51% of the people to go along with something, and then you got it. But if you, if you fall at 49%, you lose it. Well, that's kind of the, the thinking that's gotten us into the mess we're in. The truth of the matter is that civilizations and nations and cultures have always been driven by less than 1% of the population. And uh, so the comment about an oligarchy is an interesting one because, you know, that's true not only now, it was true in the beginning. And it's always been true of every system that's ever existed. There's 
there's always a small group that dominates society. And the question is, what do they do with that domination? Do they rule it as despots or do they try and rule it as our founding fathers did by creating a system that would divest power from even themselves and prevent totalitarianism from creeping into the system? Oligarchies don't necessarily have to be monarchs or, or totalitarians. They could be people who I'd like to think that we are, that if we had the power to influence society, we would design it and direct it in such a way that that no one would have the ability to coerce other people to do anything except to defend their lives, liberty, and property. Everything else would be free. We, we, want, we want to create a free system. If we were in charge, so to speak, and there's the contradiction, how can you be in charge uh, without forcing people? And there is the essence between you know, individualism and collectivism. Um, individualists want to make things happen through influence and persuasion and freedom of choice, but collectivists want to make things happen through coercion and force, prison terms and fines and that kind of thing. But either way, there's always going to be some minority that will be forming society along one or, or the other of those choices. So it can be done, and it'll always be done by an oligarchy of some kind. And the question is, which oligarch, which oligarchy is it going to be? The one that's in there now, or the one that we can create? Mm, very, very, very good. Uh, considering what, well, we know what oligarchy is in there now. Uh, well, how about what was your thoughts when the Supreme Court legislated? They definitely it was not. It was judicial activism. Uh, with the with the marriage uh, issue, <laughs> all I could see was another uh, step towards tyranny. Yet you had people out there shouting, "Oh, now we have freedom!" I'd like to know your thoughts on 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 this. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a kind of a, a sticky, gooey can of worms in a way. Mm -hmm. There were two things about it. First of all, the Supreme Court is way out of bounds and has been for quite a while. And many, if not most, of its decisions ever since uh, the Roosevelt era, have been um, more than judicial decisions. They've been legislative. Mm -hmm. And um, it, that's just becoming more and more. And that, that's a problem in itself, regardless of the issue. Sometimes the Supreme Court will make a decision that I like. And, oh, that was a right decision. But in the process, they wind up uh, assuming that there's federal power over the states. Um, I'm, I've forgotten some of the details, but there was something a little while back regarding gun control in Washington, D.C. I've forgotten the issue. But the, federal, the Supreme Court said, no, Washington, D.C. could not, uh, or some state, some other state also, uh, could not uh, deny gun ownership to its citizens. Everybody says, hooray, well, not everybody, but those who believe in the right to bear arms said, hooray, the Supreme Court was right on. But in the process, the Supreme Court took away the, the power from the states to make that decision, you see. So there was a, a plus and a minus. And, uh, and uh, so the Supreme Court and its decisions is an area of, of concern by itself. But the area of, of you know, gay marriage and, and uh, in that I kind of feel that uh, Ron Paul's on the right track with that one. And that, what the heck has the government got to do telling anybody who can get married and who can't anyway? What, right. What's the government got to do with that? The government right. shouldn't even be involved in that. That's a private matter. Now, when it comes yes. to contracts, you know, if people want to enter into a contract, whether it's for marriage or adoption 
or a business venture or anything, yes, they should be free to enter into a contract as long as it doesn't violate the basic laws. And uh, they should be – those contracts should be enforced by the government, but the government should not determine what the nature of the contract should be. Yes, yes, totally wholeheartedly agree. Well, now I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump to a whole other issue because you're much more than talking about freedom and talking about economics. You also have a great documentary out there. You know, my mom, uh, I, I think you knew this, uh, she passed away of cancer uh, back uh, when I started first campaigning for governor. And you have a great documentary on, on there, a, a World Without Cancer. And especially with the geoengineering, there's an increase in cancer, especially in America. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about remedies for people as we're seeing an increase in cancer in our country. Well, yeah, a very important topic and one that's very close to my heart. It's, um, it's one of those topics that I became involved in a long, long time ago. And uh, it's almost, well, it's, it's parallel in my interest to freedom issues and health issues are just to me, they're almost the same thing, because what good is freedom if you're in illness and, and pain and dying? You know, right. so you're you're free you're free to, to be sick and dying, or what good is health if you're a slave? You know, so the two really go together in order for the human to to really fulfill his his purpose, his destiny, and to enjoy a fulfilled life. So. The issue of cancer certainly fits into that uh, into that fabric, and uh, as you said, I did have an opportunity to explore that topic many years ago. Uh, World Without Cancer was published, I believe, in 1974, mm -hmm. and uh, it was another one of those long, long um, roads that I had to travel to go from zero information to where I felt I had a handle on the topic at least. And it's, I'm sure it saved my life because prior to that, I had no, no interest, no knowledge, and especially no interest in anything healthy. What does the young person who is healthy care about health? You know, right. <laughs> they, they think they're going to live forever and uh, they can eat anything and drink anything and smoke anything. What the heck? It's not going to affect me. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, anyway, so I got into it fairly early, and it did change my lifestyle somewhat. And with the help of my wife feeding me good and all that sort of thing, I, here I am, you know, pretty far on in years, and I'm pretty sure that I would not even be alive had it not been for my my awareness of uh, this this health field. And to bring that into focus, what that really means is that I learned that the body is the best healer, and that if you have any kind of an ailment, a chronic disease. Now I'm not talking about broken bones, but a chronic disease involving you know the breakdown of of the organs and bodily functions. That the best uh, medicine comes from the body itself, and uh, all of this stuff that comes out of the test tubes uh, from the pharmaceutical industry, for the most part, although it may be very profitable to the industry and there may be a huge industry built up around it, 
in my view, <clears throat> much, if not most, of the, the chemistry that comes out of that is harmful to health rather than helpful to health. And that's the basic premise on which I have operated in my work on cancer and, and in other fields, too. I find it applies everywhere in, in arterial disease, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, everywhere you look where you have a chronic disease, it seems like the, the uh, patented uh, chemistry that's being offered to cure those diseases often just makes it worse. At yes. Best, at best, it just holds it at bay. And uh, so um, I, don't, I don't know why I went into all of that except to say that uh, that's what I learned about cancer. And uh, I found that there was a substance, at least there are many, but I found at least one, and it wasn't that I discovered it, but I learned about it, called amygdalin, sometimes called laetrile or vitamin B17, which mm -hmm. is found in nature. And, and the tip was that everywhere you look in the world, where in, in um, cultures and societies where cancer is almost unheard of or unheard of, like in Hunza. You look in these places, Hunza, the Vilcambabas, the Navajo Indians, the um, uh, Aboriginal Eskimos, there are places around the world that historically have no cancer. In every case, you look at the diets of those people and you find it's very rich in this thing called amygdalin. And then you learn the chemistry, how amygdalin works, it breaks down into it releases cyanide in the cancer cell, only in the cancer cell, but not in normal cells. And you think, wow, this is an amazing mechanism of nature, and it's a natural control for cancer. And if only people understood that the answer to cancer, as with most other of these, these terrible, terrible diseases, is to go study nature very carefully and follow her directions. That's what I learned. You know, I mean, it's hard to find B17 Latrell in the United States. If you can order it online, you can get it in Mexico. And isn't that interesting that the FDA is pretty much well ensured that it's hard for Americans to purchase this here in, in this country? So uh, is it, it, you're saying it's found in some foods. Uh, would that be fish? What, what type of diet? Okay. Well, uh, it's, found in, it's found in about 1,200 different edible plants, really. It's mm -hmm. ubiquitous. You'll find it in grasses and, and a lot of plants. And, um, lima beans used to have it until they bred it out of the lima right. beans because it's a, it has a bitter taste to it. But the mm -hmm. best source for it is in the seeds of certain fruits, the, the rosacea family of fruits. That means the plums, the, apple, uh, the, plums, the uh, apricot, and the peach seeds. Uh, those all are very rich in amygdalin. Apple seeds also are rich, and um, so it's it's easy to find in nature. You don't have to you don't have to go to Mexico to get it. Although if you want the purified form and the concentrated form for clinical cancer treatment, then of course you've got to get dosages that are higher than what you can obtain from nature. So that's when you go in and you start looking for tablets and injectables well i happen to know a lot about you know have plum trees and apricot trees on the property uh but those seeds are hard <laughs> they're rock solid well, actually, so yeah, actually those are the pits yeah you have to crack uh -huh. open the hard pit and then inside there's a, a, a soft seed it's very much like an almond uh -huh. it looks like an almond in uh -huh. fact the almonds used to be uh -huh. bitter almonds they used to also be a, a source of amygdalin until they too have been hybridized 
well, actually grafted. The, the almond trees are all grafted trees now. But at the root, at, at, near the ground of every almond tree in the California orchards, you, you'll see that the bark changes its color and mm-hmm. texture because they're grafted trees. The rootstock is uh, what we might call a bitter almond. And if those were allowed to grow, the almonds would indeed be bitter and they'd be, they'd be loaded with amygdalin. But the almonds that have come out of the grafted stock are sweet and they have no amygdalin in them. So that's the oh, way, that's one of the reasons, that's the reason the modern man is, is getting cancer because his food supply has been gradually altered so that the right. natural access to these things has disappeared. Very interesting. And of course, we're being sprayed by, you know, everything as well, which doesn't help matters any. Uh, so, so moving on, now, uh, Ed, was your first project the Noah's Ark project? Was that your first one? The Noah's Ark project? Oh, no, no, that came no, no way down the line. My mm-hmm. first project in, in all of this was back in 1964. That wow. was the publication of my first book. It was called uh, Fearful Master, a second wow. book at the United Nations. Mm-hmm. That was published in 64. And, uh, uh, that's how it started. Speaking of the United Nations, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've heard. I know Michael, uh, our friend Michael Murphy, uh, and I chatted about this a few days ago, that the United Nations, um, there's a big, huge summit. I'm sure you, because you're so very awake, with all these world leaders, the Pope, and of course they're citing that it's about the environment and global, you know, climate change and all of that. But it said that they're going to do a pact with the United Nations to make it the one world government. That that's really the objective. And have you heard this? And if and if our own government is part of it, how do we get out from underneath this? Well, uh, yeah, that's the hard question at the tail end of it. But first of all, yeah. the United Nations is the world government in building. It's been intended. That's what it was mm-hmm. intended to be when it was formed. And mm-hmm. it's taken a long time to, to uh, gradually move it in that direction. It, I would say it's about halfway there now. Yeah. And, uh, whatever you want to call it, world government or the new world order or whatever. I, I get to laugh. Some people sometimes say to me, well, uh, Mr. G, um, wh- when is the new world order going to be here? When, <laughs> when will it happen? I say, look around you, my friend. It's here. It's, it's here. It's, it's here. Yeah. It's been here for many, many years. It's just getting yeah. more and more visible with the passage of each year and the passage of more laws. It, the, the wall is being built higher and higher, but it's here. It's not going to be some day they'll ring the bell and say, well, it, at noon, now it'll be the new world order. So the United Nations is the world <laughs> government, and uh, it's just waiting for primarily two things. It's waiting for an international currency so that mm-hmm. no nation will be able to have its own independent funding. And the other thing will be an international military force, the so-called mm-hmm. peacekeeping force that it has. Mm-hmm. But then no nation will be able to um, escape the military effect of a UN decision. And that's what disarmament is all about. It's not about disarmament. It's about the transfer of armaments from all nations to the UN. That's what disarmament means. And of course, once those two things happen, and then that's the end of the line. Wow. They're working on it. They're they're definitely working on it. Oh, we're very close. We're very close. 
so what can we do once we are because you know, it seems like it's just right around the corner yeah well it's it seemed that way to me for years and i have to say mm -hmm. that had had i given up when i first thought it was all over <laughs> or uh -huh. feared that it would be all over that would have been many years ago I, in fact, I have to tell you the truth. In the late 1960s, I thought, well, this can't go on any longer. This is, this is wow. really nearing the end. And had I given up and headed for the hills or whatever people do when they give up, mm -hmm. well, I just think all those years between then and now, I would not have been able to <clears throat> do anything. I wouldn't have written any books. I wouldn't have enlightened anybody or, or a few people at least. And I don't think that this, this movement that we now see would be anywhere near as strong as if uh, it would be if I, or, uh, or would be stronger, I should say. The movement is, today is stronger than it would be if people like myself and others had given up back in the 60s or 70s. It well, thank God. Over. Well, that was when we were born. So we, thank God, I have to tell you, because you're one of the individuals that woke up. Uh, now, unfortunately, and see, you're one of those individuals that you could sit back and just listen to for hours and hours. I, I have to say this. And uh, but we only have a couple minutes now. So is there any <laughs> any any final words? And first of all, thank you. I know how busy you are. Oh, your love, your your wife is so lovely. She is so sweet. Between you know your wife and all the work you do, people are constantly calling you. I've been in your home a couple of times, and you are a busy man. So well, I appreciate. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate the time you took out to be on our our little show here. Trust me, we have thousands of listeners. So and I, I guarantee this will be one of our highest rated shows. So um, it's important that you do this and we appreciate you. Uh, well, so any you. final comment, again, realityzone.com. Uh, but any final comment uh, uh, that you have? Yes, I, I do have. And I think uh, it's important to know that all is not lost. Uh, we have some very tough times coming ahead of us. There's no question about that. But there is a possibility of turning this around. There is a plan. There is a way to do it if we'll just get busy with it and do it. And that's the reason that we created an organization called Freedom Force International. We don't have time yes. to go into all of that. But believe me, folks, if you're looking for the plan, it's workable, it's already building, it's making momentum now, and you want to become part of this, then that's where you need to go. And that's the other website. Oh, by the way, we have a new website being built. So you'll see some construction going on there, but you get the idea very clearly. And the organization is called freedomforceinternational.org. And oh, the website, wow. yeah, the website is wp.freedomforceinternational.org. Oh, fantastic. And um, if you have Joan email that out to, we can get it to our, all of our listeners. We can put it on our own website so uh, that our listeners can like go and just it. click on it easily. Okay, great. Well, that's it. And the only other thing is if, they, if you folks want to hear what we're doing here on a daily basis, we publish something that used to be called Unfiltered News, a weekly uh, news report. Yes. And as of uh, last Friday, it was changed. We now have a new name. It's called Need to Know. So, oh, yeah, awesome. Need to know. Yeah, that's this, great. And you can go on. That's www. Or just go in and type need to know. News. That's a new uh, extension, N E W S. And uh, so it's now need to know. News. And you can see what, what we're doing on a <coughs> daily basis. 
Gee, thank you so much for being here. You're just, thank you. I can't say enough about you. Appreciate it. Unfortunately, our time is over. This has been the Wake Up Mission Show. Join us tomorrow for Truth Tuesday when we're going to talk CERN, Shamika. And in the second hour, our guest is Dr. Shirley Moore. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate you. Thank you for spending your time with us on the Wake Up Mission Show. There's always a reason to celebrate. Weddings, quinceañeras, or just because I love you. Now, for a limited time, switch to AT&T and buy two Samsung Galaxy S7s for one great price. Visit your nearest AT&T store today. AT&T, mobilizing your world. Limited time offers. Each line requires eligible port-in, trade-in, purchase, and service. Get minimum of $10 trade-in credit plus prepaid card in amounts of device balance or early termination fee less trade-in. Fees, charges, and restrictions apply. See store for details. There's always a reason to celebrate. Weddings, quinceañeras, or just because I love you. Now, for a limited time, switch to AT&T and buy two Samsung Galaxy S7s for one great price. Visit your nearest AT&T store today. AT&T, mobilizing your world. Limited time offers. Each line requires eligible port-in, trade-in, purchase, and service. Get minimum of $10 trade-in credit plus prepaid card in amounts of device balance or early termination fee less trade-in. Fees, charges, and restrictions apply. See store for details.